since the very first conversations um, at Faith Community all the way back to 1997, we've been driven by the words of Jesus in what is known as the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, verse 19, where Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Oh, and I am with you always to the very end. And it's these words of Jesus that have inspired our mission statement, which is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus uh, for the good of our community and for the sake of the world. So there are two words that always make me a little bit suspicious when I hear them, and maybe they make you suspicious as well, and they are the words unlimited and unconditional. So like unlimited and unconditional. So like unlimited coverage. I'm like, are you sure? Because like right now I have no signal. I don't. Some of you don't either. Unlimited coverage, like once I get, I enter a metal building, I have no coverage. Once I get off the highway, I have, where, where is the limit really? Uh, or like an unconditional guarantee. Ever had one of those with fine print? It's not an unconditional guarantee then. Aren't you a little suspicious when somebody says unlimited or unconditional? I tend to be. The interesting thing is I would imagine that some of you have had similar suspicions about God somewhere in your faith journey. Uh, you hear talk at church about God's unconditional love, God's unlimited forgiveness, or His unlimited grace, and you're like, that's nice. And I think from all these church people, that's probably true. But have you looked at my record? Do you know my story? Like, I don't think your un is big enough for all my stuff. And if you think perhaps God's unlimited and unconditional isn't big enough for you because of your past or because of your present. I cannot tell you how happy I am that you're here today to hear what we have to talk about today and next Sunday, because I know you're planning to be here next Sunday too. Because over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk, uh, uh, take some time to talk about what we refer to as the ordinances of the church. And uh, an ordinance is a Christian rite associated with tangible elements like water and bread and wine. The term is closely associated with the word sacrament, which might be how you grew up hearing it. As an, it's an outward and visible sign of an inward condition or disposition. So broadly speaking, Christianity encompasses three major branches, Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, and Protestantism. In all churches affiliated with these traditions, two common observances stand out, and they are baptism and communion. You may have spent time in churches where they refer to communion as Eucharist or Lord's Supper. That's kind of the whole spectrum. And what seems to unite these three faith traditions actually has led to a lot of division around terminology, around the number of ordinances or sacraments, around the nature of these rites. So I want to talk about these for the next two Sundays. So first of all, let's talk about a couple commonly used terms that are often used interchangeably. I hear them even here, but they don't carry the same meaning. So words matter because the meanings matter. So the two words are sacrament and ordinance. So a sacrament from the Greek refers to matters that God once hid but is now revealed through the gospel. So the early church applied the term to baptism and the Lord's Supper, considering them to reveal a mystery of God's divine grace. But by the 5th century, sacrament came to be understood as an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. So far I can track with all of that. 
The name ordinance became associated with the practices of baptism and communion as a result of the Protestant Reformation. Have you remember the Protestant Reformation back in the 7th, 16th century, right? The word... <laughs> what was the 70s then? That was something else. The, the word sacrament had, uh, had too many uh, connotations associated with Catholic theology for the Protestant Reformation to adopt the word. So they began to use the word ordinance, signifying that these practices were ordained or instituted by Jesus himself. So the biggest difference in beliefs around sacraments and ordinances is that sacraments are believed to infuse grace by their administration. They infuse grace by their administration into the people of God. So in other words, God's grace is transmitted through uh, the sacrament, as they are administered. So in order to be a recipient of God's grace and subsequently his salvation, we must be participants in the sacraments, okay? That's one thing. Ordinances, which is where we land because we're part of the, our tradition is the Protestant tradition. Ordinances are symbolic. They symbolize the faith and obedience of the follower of Jesus. They aren't seen as transmitting grace. They are seen as opportunities for us to express that we have already been recipients of grace and to express our allegiance to Jesus as we practice them. So that's, that's a, the difference, and it's kind of a significant one. And the adoption of sacraments and ordinances into the life of the church is, it's an interesting study if you're into these kinds of things. Uh, you should study these things. If you're ever on Jeopardy, it might be a clue. So the, the church, it's, it's kind of trivia, but it's, it's interesting to me to see how the church, uh, how we added things and took things away and changed things and all that. The church has 2,000 years of history of implementing various practices and traditions. And uh, if you're watching any news tomorrow, you'll see some traditions that have been, uh, uh, been in practice for like a thousand years or more. So all kinds of practices and, and traditions. And the purpose is to reinforce our connection to our ancient faith, to experience in the physical what is true in the spiritual. So today... The Catholic Church, and a lot of you have a Catholic background, the Catholic Church has seven sacraments, while the mainline Protestant churches have two ordinances, and that's where we land. So among the various branches of the Christian church, there are a different number of ordinances that vary kind of like from one denominational tradition to another, but where the various traditions overlap, there are two commonly practiced ordinances, and they are baptism and communion. So today... I want to talk about baptism. I want to talk about why we do what we do here and what the Bible has to say about baptism and a little bit about our church tra our tra tradition. And, and specifically, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about why we immerse and then what the significance of baptism is, like what it means. We usually use the Bible here in our teaching. That's our common practice. Uh, but this morning, I want to start with the dictionary. Um, I want to read, this is not a religious book for the most part, uh, this is a secular dictionary, and uh, I don't actually use this one anymore, it's a space holder on my shelves, I use the internet. Uh, but I want to read, this is a prop for this morning, so you can tell people I saw a dictionary today. <laughs> I don't know when this one was printed, oh my, I think I had this in high school. Uh, this is the dictionary definition of the Greek word that's translated baptism. The Greek word is baptizo, 
It's a Greek verb that actually never got translated. It, it's been transliterated, which means the Greek word actually made its way into the English language. And it's where we get the word baptism or baptize. So here's what the word means. It means to immerse or to dip. That's the literal meaning of the word. Okay, That's the origin. So here's how it would have been used. It would have been used to describe a ship that sinks. Uh, it was used of people who drowned. It was used figuratively to describe a person who was head and shoulders in debt. It was used to describe dipping a cup into wine. It was used to talk about dyeing cloth. That was one of the most common uses of the word. Uh, this very, uh, where you take cloth and you dip it into a dye and you leave it there until the dye adheres and saturates and becomes part of the cloth and the color of the, of, and takes on the color of the dye. The word baptize wasn't even an English word until the 17th century. The translators of the King James Bible wanted to use the word dip when it came to translate the word baptizo, because that's what it means. But King James himself intervened and demanded that they create a new word, making the point that the word dip was not distinguished enough. It was not sophisticated enough. So for those of us who have our roots in the Baptist tradition, and I know there's a few of us here, I would say that as, a, as Baptists, you have a, a, a debt of gratitude to pay old King James. Otherwise, if it weren't for him, you would have been known as dippers <laughs> or dippists. I don't know. You First dippist church? I don't know. See how language changes, right? So baptizo had all kinds of uses, and it was consistently used up until uh, New Testament times to simply talk about taking something and immersing it, dipping it in a liquid. And the word was uh, consistently used all, that way all the way through ancient, the ancient Greek world up until New Testament times and the, 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 the advancement of Christianity. So that's what the word baptizo means. And up until the time of Christ, it was just a common word. It didn't have any religious meaning. Um, but when the New Testament times rolled around, and as we look at as the New Testament kind of unfolded, uh, the Jewish community had begun to use the word to describe something they did, a practice they engaged in, and a practice they started in a religious context. They had a process where a non-Jewish person could go through this process and become a Jew and ascribe to their faith. So let's say you came to Jerusalem, and uh, you saw the Jewish temple, and you observed some of the worship. And uh, you're like, slaughtering animals, interesting. I'd like to part, be a part of that. That's very attractive to me. And uh, you, talked, you talked to some Jewish friends about their faith. And you came to believe that the God that they worshipped, Yahweh, was the one true God. And maybe you'd grown up in a pagan culture where you worshipped idols. And you said to your Jewish friends, I'd like to become Jewish. Like, I'd like to worship the God that you worship. I'd like to serve the God that you serve. Is there any way I can convert into your way of believing and worshipping? And there was a way to do that. And part of that included eating a certain kind of meal. Like, okay, cool. Talk to me about that. You had to learn the law. That was a big commitment. You had to clean your house. There were all kinds of hoops you had to jump through. And at the end of the process, you were baptizo. But listen, no one baptized you. You baptized yourself. Basically, you go down to the river with some eyewitnesses. You go maybe to a cistern or anywhere there was a lot of water. And at the end of the process, uh, you would immerse yourself in water. And when you came back up, it was to symbolize that you were dying to your Gentile heritage and those practices, and you were coming alive to your newfound faith. And baptism was a sign of that. So the idea of baptizing began to take on some religious significance around the time of Christ as the Jews began to implement this practice. And then one day in Matthew 3, it's pretty early in the story, right? Something very unusual happened. 
down by the Jordan River, there's this guy named John. And he's kind of a wild, strange kind of guy. And he's, just, he's saying, repent. Repent. Make way for the Messiah. The Messiah is coming. And you Jews, you know, we all think we're so close to God, but you're living in sin and you need to repent because the Messiah is coming. And people would gather and listen to this guy. It was very compelling. And he would say things like, one is coming after me and I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. Repent. Prepare for the way of the Lord. And the people began to realize that they had indeed abandoned God. They were indeed living in rebellion. They were Jewish by name, but they were not Jewish by practice. They began to repent, and then they would come to John, and John did something that historically had never been done before. John took people down into the water with him and held them in some capacity, and he dipped them. And people said, he's baptizing them. They didn't know what to say. They didn't know what to call it. They'd never done that before. So they just used a common word. And they said, he's immersing them. He's dipping them. He's baptizing them. And they came to John and they're like, I believe that what you're saying is true. And I'm going to identify and show my allegiance to your teaching. I'm going to go public with my personal beliefs by allowing you to dip me, to immerse me, to baptize me in this water. So this went on until finally, since he was the only one doing this, he got a title. Remember that? We know him by his title. They started calling him John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. So you thought, yeah, he was, a, he was the founder of the Baptist church. That's why he got that name. No, not at all. This, this had never been done before. So he got a title, a title that described that practice that he had initiated. Do you know there's a Greek word for the word sprinkle? It's the word rentizo, and it's a very common word, but when it came to explaining and describing what the prophet John was doing, they didn't call him John the rentizer, and I'm not making light of this, but they called him John the baptizer. So all that to say this, the reason that we at Faith Community, the reason we practice baptism by immersion is because that's what the word literally means. And we're not that sophisticated, so we just go with what the word means. The reason we immerse is because historically, that was the practice of John the baptizer. And that's what was modeled for us in the first century. Now, interestingly enough, this little Greek word baptizo is in the New Testament in places where it's not translated baptism as we know it. Most of the time, the word showed up in the translation. They just put it right in there in Greek form, and there are places where it shows up and it's translated like this. Like, so give me, I'll give you an example. In Luke chapter 11, talking about Jesus, it says, When he had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. And the word washed is the Greek word baptizo. So it could have said he did not first ceremonially baptize before the meal. But by the time this text was translated from the Greek, uh, the word baptizo had taken on a new meaning, you know, spiritual meaning. So in this context, it simply meant to wash. A couple other passages, Acts 8, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian, and he gave orders, in verse 38 says, he gave orders to stop the chariot. And Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Never had a baptism experience quite like that. That would be pretty cool. But um, baptism, they went down into the water. In Matthew 3, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. So for us, it's as simple as this. The word baptizo means to immerse. That's what they did then. It's what we practice now. Which leads to two questions. So Todd, if you're so smart... 
then why does my entire church or my entire denomination and all their scholars and all my many, many years of church tradition, why do they all disagree with you? Like, what about my church tradition? If you're so smart, and it's as simple as you say, then why in the belief system that I grew up in, why do they christen babies and say that's enough? Are you telling me you're smarter than generations of of theology scholars, right? It's like I'm supposed to abandon hundreds of years of church teaching and tradition because you got an old dictionary on stage. If we had the time and if I had the inclination, I would love to get into a debate about this because I don't get to debate with people like I like to and uh, explain, explain to you why we can talk about why some churches sprinkle and pour and why some churches sprinkle babies and why you might have been sprinkled when you were a baby and you, you know, say now you were baptized even though you don't remember it and you didn't have anything to do with the decision. But here's what you could do. Here's what I honestly would suggest you do. When this message posts online this week, I would suggest you, if you really have an honest question about this, like where am I, where am I coming from and how do you, are you dismissing all of my traditions, send a link to this message to your minister, your priest, the person who sprinkled you, your parents, your grandparents, whoever made the decision about that, and just ask them, listen to this, what do you think about this? And get the scoop, because I can't answer for them. It's not my tradition. It's their tradition. The answer really lies in what was happening in church history at the time when there was this transition uh, from immersion to sprinkling or pouring. And sometimes it's helpful to do a little bit of reading about church history and the voices of influence during different eras in the story of the church. But we, we land where we believe that the scripture teaches immersion, so we immerse. Second question is, well then, okay then, having said all that, did mine count? So I think the answer to that question doesn't lie so much in the form or the mode of baptism as it does in the meaning behind your baptism. In other words, I don't think God's going to fall off his throne if you got sprinkled instead of immersed. Like, I don't think he's going to lose it. And, and God's like, that didn't count. No, I, don't, I just think God's bigger than that, don't you? Now, if we're in the desert, and I got half a canteen of water left, and we've been talking all the way across the desert, and you believe in Jesus as your Savior, and you want to follow him in obedience, and you're like, I want to be baptized. What am I supposed to say? Sorry, I can't baptize you. I only got a little bit, little bit of water here. I, can't, I, 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 I could sprinkle you for now. That might tie you over, but it's not going to really take. So let's hope that we can make it through this desert so we can find a place where we can get you into some real water. I just think God's bigger than that, okay? I think the form, the mode of baptism is important. Otherwise, we wouldn't have as much detail as we have both in Scripture and in church history. But I think the most important thing isn't the mode. It's the meaning that we attach to baptism. Like when we were uh, living in Texas and when my brother and I were teenagers, we had a pool in our yard. And Drew and I would dunk each other every opportunity we got, usually if the other wasn't expecting it. That's not a baptism, okay? (laughs) Fully immersed, believe me, but not a baptism. I've been to summer camps. And I've been in those huge water fights and, you know, and with the water balloons and water guns and all that. Not a baptism. I've often thought baptism by super soaker would be really cool. <laughs> It'd make a great video to tell later. Um, baptized 72 kids at camp today. Um, it's, the, it's the meaning that you attach to your baptism that makes it a baptism. Does that make sense? Neither f- form alone constitutes a baptism. It's the meaning that we attach to it that gives it significance. So let's talk for a few minutes then about what is the significance. Like what's the meaning 
of baptism? Why do we even do this? Why did Jesus pick this up after John the baptizer? And why did he include it? Like he included it in his great commission to the church. So first of all, baptism is a sign of identification. Like when you come to be baptized in a Christian church, you are going public uh, with Jesus Christ. It's out in the open. You want everyone to know that you are a follower of Jesus. Second thing that's an important part of baptism is the symbolic part. Like it's symbolic of death and resurrection. So like when a person is baptizing, baptized, they're saying, I have died to my old life and I've come alive to new life in Christ. It's symbolic of a change that has already taken place. And the third thing that's part of baptism is that it represents a cleansing. It represents a washing away of sin. And like we don't believe that happens at baptism. But again, it's a public expression of the fact that because I've accepted Christ, my sins are forgiven, my sins have been washed away. And in baptism, that is symbolized by going down into the water. Several years ago, when we first moved into this building about 17 years ago, we introduced a new kids ministry called Kidmo. How many of you remember Kidmo? Some of you uh, grew up in Kidmo, like you were there as a kid. Kidmo was for ages 4 through 10. It was a video-driven curriculum, and the on-video on host was Johnny Rogers, and a couple of us got to meet Johnny Rogers a few years back. And some of you grew up in Kidmo, and some of you served in Kidmo, and you remember Johnny. To this day, Johnny still has some of the best teaching on baptism, so I thought I would pull out that old video and play a clip from his teaching to kids from Kidmo back in the day about baptism. Watch this. Baptism amplifies what Jesus has done. It shows people on the outside what God has done on the inside. If getting baptized is showing people on the outside what God has done on the inside, what has God done on the inside? You see, when Jesus died, he was buried in a tomb, and he came back to life again. He was buried in a tomb, and then he came back to life again. When we get baptized, usually someone's standing there with us, and they take us, and we get dunked under the water, and then we come back out again. It's like taking a bath without the soap in your eyes. One time when I was growing up, me and my two older brothers were out in the backyard playing. We are playing in the dirt, playing in the mud, getting all dirty and muddy. It was cool. Then it came time for us to go inside. We got to that back door and there was my mom standing at the door with her hand out like this. You're not coming inside this house all dirty and muddy like that. Mom wouldn't let us in the house. We're too dirty and muddy. She said we had to clean up and wash off, get all the dirt off. Well, that's what we did. We washed up, got all the dirt off, and then Mom said, all right, you can come inside now. In our relationship with God, it's a lot like that. With sin in our heart, in our life, God says, uh-uh, sorry, I can't have a friendship with you. You got sin in your life. Can't let you into heaven with that sin. That's what makes what Jesus did so important. When Jesus died on the cross, and he was buried, he came alive again. And when he did that, he made a way for our sins to be washed away. So when we get baptized, we come up, it shows people on the outside that we've invited Jesus into our life and that he's washed away our sin. Now, does getting baptized take away our sin? No, it shows people on the outside what God has done on the inside.
Baptism is, uh, let's talk about what it doesn't mean. It's not a part of a salvation process. Uh, A person isn't saved uh, when they're baptized. A person isn't saved because they're baptized. Baptism is a symbolic expression on the outside of a change that has already taken place on the inside. Remember when Jesus was crucified, he had uh, two criminals on either side of him, and one of them said, Jesus, I believe that you are who you say you are. Remember me when you go into your kingdom. And just, just minutes before his death, so the idea that he's talking about, remember me when you enter into your kingdom, man, this guy really did get it, right? And Jesus looks at the guy, and he's like, sorry, dude, you got to get baptized first. Not going to happen. No, he didn't. He didn't. That's not what he said. He says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So, and, like, and like, what about Jesus? Like, he was baptized. John baptized him, and he didn't need to be saved. Like, we don't have any, and we don't even have any record of Jesus even baptizing anybody. He might have baptized the apostles, but we don't have any record of that. We don't know it for sure. And we know that later on, he delegated that to, to his disciples. So we're like, wait a minute, the son, of, the son of God came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus came to save, and he's the Messiah, the Savior. So if salvation and baptism are a package deal, like you need baptism to experience salvation, then you would think they would have baptized everything that breathed, right? But we don't, we don't have any record of him ever baptizing anybody. Why? Because baptism is an expression of something that has already taken place in you. There are some verses of Scripture that if you read them at their face value without considering the context in the original audience, would seem to indicate on the surface that if you're not baptized, you're not saved. That's not the case. Those verses require a little bit digger, a little bit deeper digging and studying and more than just a surface reading. So another thing that baptism is not is it's not about joining a church, at least not here. Like in some churches, baptism and church membership are very closely associated. And clearly that's not the way uh, we do it here because like we believe church membership is a cultural thing. It's not a biblical mandate. I don't, we don't think it's contrary to Scripture, but it's definitely not a requirement in the New Testament either. There are pros and cons, and we've discussed these over the years, and we've been all over the place. And the whole thing about church membership uh, it, it changes in our church, and it has changed, and it probably will change in the future, and that's okay, because uh, you don't find the concept in Scripture, so it's all right to change it as we go, just like we might change a brand of coffee we serve. It's kind of on the same level. So right now, at Faith Community, uh, we do offer membership. And you're like, I've been coming for months, never heard that. I know, we just don't talk about it. Uh, you hear us talk about it in January, because in, at the end of every calendar year, we kind of wipe our membership clean, and we invite you to renew your membership covenant every year. And we do that in January. And you can join anytime you want. You can join in September, but just know that by December, we're going to wipe it clean and renew our covenant with one another. So if membership is important to you, and this is one of the reasons we offer it, because depending on your church tradition, it might be important to you. And it does have its benefits. It has benefits for you as a member. It has benefits for us as a leadership team. It helps to be very clear about what the expectations are both ways. But the bottom line is, like, we, think, we just believe you matter to us because you matter to God. And if you choose to worship with us and minister with us and serve with us and get connected with us, then you are part of us. So let's just wrap this up. Here's the conclusion. Did mine count? Have I really been baptized? So, so let me answer that and, and just... Don't throw anything at me just yet. You can come talk to me afterwards. I'd love that. It'd be great. But if you were christened as a baby, and that's as far as it went, then you haven't been baptized according to Scripture. 
Because like, like you, and although you don't remember it, it was a meaningful event for those that were there. Like your parents dedicated you to God. Your parents may have believed that, that by having you baptized that you became a Christian at that point. And I'll tell you what, if I believed that, I would have had my children christened as well. They were, they were doing what they thought was right, and it probably helped them focus on being a better parent and setting a godly example for you. And I would never diminish the significance of that. But here's the bottom line, like why infant baptism isn't scriptural, because as a baby, that wasn't your decision. It's okay for, it can, it can stand for something significant, but it was a decision that your parents made on your behalf, and we simply can't make the baptism decision on behalf of anyone else because it's, it's about a heart change that has already happened. It's an outward expression of an inward heart change. It's about saying to the world, I want you to know I'm a follower of Jesus. It's not a decision that can be made for you. It's not about church membership. It's not about, you know, somehow I'm going to do this so I can become a Christian. It's about coming to a place in your life where you have trusted Christ, you've dedicated your life to him, and now you want to say to your friends and family and anyone who will listen, I'm ready to go public with what Jesus has done for me. That's what it means. It's identifying with Jesus. It's symbolic of the fact that you've died to an old way of life and come alive to a new way of life. And it's symbolic of the belief that you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, your sins have been washed away, and your heart is clean. Now, if you've been sitting here and you're not a Christian, you came today because someone invited you, or maybe you got some stuff going on in your life, and you thought, maybe I ought to check out church, it couldn't hurt. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you're still asking questions, and you're like, I don't know, man, this is like borderline weird. Where else do we do this kind of thing? But at the same time, you know there's something real about the whole thing. And if you're not a Christian, we'd love to help you take the next step. So maybe you're not even sure what the next step is. Why don't you come talk with me after we finish up here and we dismiss everybody. I'm going to stay right up here near the front for a few minutes. You come talk to me. Or maybe you are ready to go public. Or, 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 or put it this way, maybe, maybe you aren't right now, but... I hope you'll listen within your spirit and pray, Lord, is this something I need to do? Like, is this the next step for me? And if God's Holy Spirit tugs at you and you find that you're ready to go public, come talk with us. We want to help you take the next step. Here's what I'd like you to do if that's you. In a seat back near you, you'll find a Connect card. It looks like this. And there's a, probably a pen clipped to it. Take the card and uh, fill out your name and some contact info, preferably an email address. On the back of the card, in the right-hand column, it says, I'm interested in learning more about, and then just click, just check baptism. And uh, you aren't making a commitment. You aren't making an obligation. There, we'll, we'll reach out to you. We'll talk about whether or not baptism is the right next, the next step uh, for you. And because uh, we're making plans for a baptism right here uh, sometime in the next few Sundays. In the meantime, I would say stop by the information center in the lobby. On the left side there, as you go out, there's a, there's a handout looks like this. And it kind of summarizes what I've been talking about this morning, about where we land with baptism. Take some time to look that over. Maybe go back, rewatch this teaching sometime later this week on our website. Now, to close our teaching today on baptism, I want to play a short compilation of some baptisms. And if you haven't been here for a baptism, here's what we do. Um, a couple weeks before baptism, we'll sit down with each person being baptized and we'll shoot a short video where they get to talk about why they're being baptized, thank some people who've been instrumental on their faith journey, maybe share a verse of scripture and make a declaration about their commitment to follow Jesus. And we shoot those videos, we take a couple of days to kind of edit everything together and then on baptism Sunday we play the video for all of you to see 
and uh, right before each person is baptized. And then we turn our attention to our baptistry, which is what's behind the magical mystery curtain over there, which is on the far left of the room, and we celebrate baptism. And when we celebrate, when we celebrate baptism, we celebrate baptism, don't we? Um, so I say thank you for your attention today and your engagement with me. Next week, we're going to talk about communion, and then we're going to observe communion together. So I hope you'll come be a part of that with us. For now, before we transition into worship with our music, uh, watch this. My name is Amanda. I live in Shelby Township, Michigan, with my husband, Alex, and my three children, Austin, Benjamin, and Charlotte. One of my favorite verses is Matthew 6.34, uh, just talking about don't worry so much uh, about what's going on because I, I've got this. <laughs> you know, God's going to take care of it. And I tend to be a very anxious person and I worry a lot. <laughs> so it kind of gives me that comfort to know that it's bigger than me and I don't need to worry so much about things. I just want to thank my family for always um, supporting me and showing what it means to be a follower of Christ. And um, in particular, I'd like to thank, I knew I was going to cry. In particular, I'd like to thank my mom um, who helped us and actually found our current church in Michigan for us and said, go here, I think you'll like it. And we went there and we liked it. Um, and that's when I sort of uh, renewed my faith journey and said, you know, I just really want to be all in. And I'd also like to thank my husband, Alex, um, for always supporting me in my faith journey and for being um, a partner who is there in it with me and um, can listen and talk about things as they come up with me and things that I, whether it's read in the Bible or something that I just experience in life, uh, he's there. I'm here to declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior and I'm following him. For sharing your story, you did such a great job on that. Thank you, and it's our privilege to uh, be able to baptize you this morning. And so, Amanda, on your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, I now happily baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. My name is Scott Madrell. I live in Ellsworth, Maine with my wife Renee and uh, my two kids, Liam and Piper. I'm being baptized today because uh, I've, over the past uh, few years, have um, intellectually believed um, that, that Christ is who he says he is. And really four years ago with the um, starting point was where that really started and, and through different um, studies and, and um, sermons and reading, you know, from that point I've gotten into my, intellectually into my head that Christ was who he, he said he was. I can't do anything, I can't believe anything different um, than that. Um, and I think it's time now to, to really put it into my heart and have that accountability and follow Jesus now. One of those things that's, I don't have a, a time or period that, that all of a sudden it was, you know, in my heart that, and I really, I can't. I don't have a specific time that's like, oh, I believe it, you know? Um, it's just one of those things that I, I, all of a sudden I look back and I'm like, you know, I've believed this for quite a while now, um, but now, uh, now I feel it more and, and um, I want him to, to guide me and, and, you know, my family and, and, uh, and you know, I want to state that and profess that. 
Ephesians 6, 4, um, you know, fathers, do not provoke your children um, to anger with the way you treat them. Um, rather, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that they get from the Lord. That uh, That's a, a big one right now for me, too. And, um, I want to thank my wife, first and foremost. Um, she's been... Uh, right there with me in this journey and although it's a personal journey we've both been um, you know on this together and she's been very encouraging and and uh, you know not only encouraging with with my walk but uh, pushing at times to to do whether that be programs together or individual you know Bible study groups um, to really help my education and learning about the Lord so I want to thank her, you know, first and foremost. Um, I want to thank my parents, um, my mom for actually, you know, giving me a little bit more courage to do this when I've been thinking about this for, for over a year. Um, so seeing her do it has really given me that, that courage or inspiration. Um, you know, my, my dad, we've had some, some great discussions and, and, uh, and debates on, on, biblical things which has strengthened my belief um, so I want to thank him for that um, uh, I want to thank Bob Phillips and, and JF Burns for um, being uh, really accountability partners in this and also good men of faith that I've been able to to draw some strength from and, and learning from and uh, are good examples to me of, of men of faith so uh, I want to thank them um, and I do want to thank my pastors, you know, for for the the education and guidance and wisdom that they've they've uh, they've given me over the last eight years. So. Uh, I'm getting baptized today, and I want to tell all my family and friends that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I'm following Him. Accept the Lord Jesus as your Savior. Scott, on your profession of faith in Jesus and obedience to his great commission, I happily baptize you, my brothers, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Hi, my name is Taylor Ames. I'm 12 years old, and I'm in the seventh grade at Ellsworth Middle School. I want to be baptized today because I want to show everyone how important my faith is to me and I will continue to follow the Lord. I would like to thank Pastor Todd and Pastor Bob for always giving me new opportunities in the church, then my mom and my youth group leaders. All of them always encourage me to have a strong relationship with God and teach me new things about church or everyday life. A Bible verse that means a lot to me right now is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. I'm getting baptized today, and I want to tell my family and friends that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I'm following him. Thanks, John. Taylor, on your profession of faith in Jesus and obedience to his great commission, I happily baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 